0: All right, hey, kia ora to you. Lovely to see you. Join everyone else in welcoming you. Hello to the live stream and the millions watching around the world. Nice to have you tuned in. Uh, I'm not really for sports chat in church either. It doesn't do a lot for me, but oh, I'm happy to do a little bit of sports chat every now and then. But mostly, I just talk about the warriors, which is kind of more like Lent chat. So I tie it into the Christian calendar. So uh, that, that's how I get away with it. But yeah, congratulations to uh, the Black Ferns. It's very exciting, and congratulations to Samoa. That was Sifo Samoa winning the quarterfinal in the Rugby League World Cup. Uh, oh, semi-final. Yes, yeah, semi-final. Semi-final. I said. Uh, I said. Uh, <laughs> We've got the final next week. Uh, we'll see if Sefo comes next week. So I got a text this morning at about 10 past 5 saying, I don't care if this wakes you up. You need to know. Samoa is through. So that was that was Sefo this morning. I said, how many hoos do I need to do throughout the sermon? Like how, many, like, how many? He said, basically the whole way. So uh, there you go. There's good things happening. Uh, we're going to be in the Christian calendar today. If you haven't noticed, we've got a new piece of art on the wall. Um, so that's over there. So um, there you go. I hope you have seen that, but if you haven't, there'll be plenty of chance to have a look at it last, uh, after the service. All right, I made an outrageous claim last Sunday, a staggering claim, an unsubstantiated claim uh, that Christian discipleship can be uh, simplified down to two commitments. That was my, my, my claim last week, two commitments. Uh, the first one, a deep commitment to live attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. A deep commitment to live attentive to the, or a commitment to live deeply attentive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, that one probably not very controversial. The second one, a deep commitment to, li- or a commitment to live deeply attentive to the rhythms and routines of the church calendar. That was what I added to that, and then we went on to not unpack that in the slightest. Uh, so the emails ca- started coming in. Uh, Somebody said, no, it's the Hillsong album of 1995, Friends in High Places, because I'd mentioned the 1999 album, uh, which is peak worship in all of history uh, by your side, but uh, they said, no, no, Friends in High Places, 1995. Uh, someone else said, no, it's the John Maxwell Enjoy Life Tape Club with leadership lessons from John Maxwell. And I was like, I'm sure it's not that. I don't, it's the Christian calendar. Uh, still another person said, it's Christian radio. Christian radio is what we need. And uh, all of the young people who had their parents tune their radio to Life FM back in 93 or something, I don't know exactly what that was, but... I remember when, you, or Rima, when, and then your dad smashed the dial on the tuner so that Lisa couldn't listen to anything else, only, only Southern Star and Rema and, and Life FM, that's, that's, the, that's the solution. And then Caleb said, now what we need to get back to is stadiums where Christian bodybuilders rip phone books in half and blow up, blow up hot water bottles, that'll, that'll make, it. and I was like, I, I don't think it's any, I think it's the Christian calendar. So uh, we'll have a look at that um, this morning. Uh, attentive to the rhythms and routines of the Christian calendar. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go fast, and then I'm going to slow down, and because uh, there's, f- there's some things that I want to put out there that I feel like I need to put out there, but I'm not sure that they're the bits that will be super interesting. It's hard to know. When I did a series, and we went through the book of Revelation, I had a fair idea of what many people thought about the book of Revelation, and to the degree to which what's really going on in the book of Revelation is quite different to what People think so that as a preacher, you're like, Oh, I know what we'll tackle. We'll do this, we'll do this. This will be really interesting for people. With the Christian calendar, there's so much interesting stuff happening that is really fascinating and invites us to really live our lives in in step with the life of Christ. But I'm not sure exactly what people know or don't know. So I I could be saying this thing that I think is really interesting, and like 99% of the people are like, "Uh, Yeah, we know all of that kind of stuff. It's like, Oh, Drat, I thought that was an interesting bit. And then there's this other thing that I didn't think was interesting. You're like, oh, if you had said that, that would be really interesting. So I don't, we're just going to go all over the place this morning, and we'll, and we'll see what happens. So we'll go a bit fast, then we'll slow down. Uh, in the creation accounts early in Genesis, uh, there, there, there's this clear demarc, demarcation of time, night and day, sun and moon, light and dark. There's this, there's this clear demarcation of time. Uh, and then later on in, uh, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, one of God's promises to Israel is as, the, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So, right from the outset, we see the necessity, the importance, the gift of time. But the gift of time is something that is cut up and divided up and and, and placed in different spaces and different paces and different uh, rhythms. Time itself broken into patterns and rhythms that anchor humanity in the seasons of creation. Uh, No endless summer, no endless winter uh, that lasts forever, cycles and rhythms and seasons. Uh, specifically, that's Hebrew, Uh, specifically is the English version of that. I just just break into Hebrew every now and then by accident, sorry. Specifically, uh, in an agrarian culture, deeply anchored to the seasons, Uh, we might talk about tilling and fertilizing and planting and harvesting and feasting and preserving and fasting and working and resting. We, We see this incredible rhythm to life that is, is tied into the seasons of spring and summer and autumn and winter, the production of food, uh, all of which gives shape to the totality of one's life. It gives shape to these people that live in agrarian cultures. It gives shape to the way that they live their life. Us in Tauranga, me and Romeo were talking about this yesterday, coincidentally, um, our winter doesn't get that cold. Like, warm clothes in Tauranga is like jeans and a jersey. Uh, and then our summer doesn't get that hot. Like, Summer clothes are shorts and a T-shirt. So, like, you know, we're, we're not a... Tauranga is not really a, a city that is, that is at the beck and call of the seasons. Uh, I know my brother lived in uh, Canada for a while and in Japan for a while, and they've got to make sure their boots are, like, minus 14 degrees worthy, or else they, they're not good. You need minus 14 boots kind of thing. So we, we yeah. don't... Yeah, we put on a jersey. So, but, but for ancient people, deeply tied to the rhythms of the seasons. A time to do certain things, not to do other things. We read about this in Ecclesiastes. A time for everything. A time and a season for everything. For every activity under heaven. A time for everything also presupposes a time not for other things. If that's the time for that thing, then it's not the time for this thing. There'll be another time when it's the time for this thing, and it won't be the time for that thing anymore. And you've just got to figure out, is it the right time for this or the wrong time for this, and make sure we're kind of kind of in step. Time to do certain things and not to do others. What what does that mean? That invites us to have constraints and boundaries, uh, restrictions. It gives us responsibilities in life, but it also gives us freedoms in life. Invitations to feast, especially around harvest time. Invitations to fast particularly like when harvest hasn't quite yet, you know, my kids, they, like the, their common line harvest time for them is, is today the day where all the containers get filled up? And it's like, no, that's not today. Tomorrow is the day when all the containers get filled up. Why can't it be today? There's nothing to eat in this house. And there, there is things to eat, but it's not quite the same as the next day when harvest comes and all of the containers are filled up again. One season is not the same as the other. One day is not the same as the other. Each requires and calls for attention in different ways. Uh, Some days and seasons are very ordinary. Some are very extraordinary. Uh, Holy days, we call them holidays these days. comes from the same English word. Life isn't a treadmill. Life isn't meant to be a treadmill. There's meant to be rhythm and pace, a time to work harder, a time to hold back, a time to play, a time to rest, a time to engage, a time to... Hold back. It's not a treadmill. Each season gives a different sense of the divine. One of the things or issues for us living in a neoliberal, consumeristic kind of productivity age is that we feel like we've conquered seed time and harvest, and day and night, and cold and heat. Uh, that, that, that we're on top of that. We've conquered seed time and harvest because we have globalisation and food imports, and you can have tomatoes any time of the year that you want, depending on what you're willing to pay for them. But, um, you know, we, we, we've, oh, we're not so tied to the seasons anymore. We've conquered uh, cold and heat. We have, we've overpowered cold and heat. We have fire and electric heaters and fans. It's not that kind of... We, we, can, we can do what we want when we want kind of thing. Uh, we've, we're not constrained by summer or winter. We have incredible drainage... You know that and, until we have this, like, incredible flood where the drainage isn't quite good enough, but most of the time the drainage takes care of things, and the roof and the gutter and these different things take care of things, and we're not so tied to the seasons. We have air-conditioned offices and air-conditioned mall, uh, malls. Uh, we have cold pools to swim in if we're hot. We have hot pools to swim in if we're cold. We're like, we've we've overcome and defeated day and night and seed time and harvest and all these things. Um Day and night is optional and barely worth consideration because we have electricity and laptops and Wi-Fi and cell phones and we, we can keep going to midnight if we want. We don't, we don't have to stop. Even distance and separation. It's not in the Genesis passage, but even distance and separation. Oh, we've got Zoom calls now and you can go online and you don't actually need to be in person. There's all sorts of ways. We're, we're very sophisticated the way that we've conquered all these things. Creates the illusion. Is that your phone going off, Lisa, in the middle of the sermon? I wouldn't normally point that out, but it feels like um, it feels like I should. Um, it creates the illusion that time and the seasons and these kind of things—they're not—we're not—we're not beholden to them. But it's Craig knows it's an illusion because Craig's a farmer. Craig knows there's certain seasons that you do certain things, and if you don't do it then, you're not going to get a chance to do it later. But, but, but for my kids who think harvest is Tuesday at the farm that is Brookfield New World, it's like they're, they're living in an illusion that is not, it's not true. We're able to work 24-7. We're able to go to the gym 24-7. You wouldn't sign up to the gym unless it was a 24-7 gym, because sometimes you want to go to the gym not during the other hours. You want to go in those hours. Uh, we don't have any in about but the world has 24-7 driving ranges. You can go and hit a golf ball, whenever you want, 24-7, never shuts. You can shop 24-7 online. We're led to believe that there's no inherent boundaries or constraints to time, that we can do what we want, when we want. Uh, In the words of Arcade Fire, I've used this in a sermon before, but we live in an everything now culture. We can have everything now. Nothing needs to be deferred. You don't need to save up for anything. You can um, use uh, all of those apps kind of thing. Well, I can't, can't remember what they're called. Pay now, after pay and all of them. You don't have to save up for anything. You can have it now. You can have everything now. You can have tomatoes whenever you want. Everything now. But everything now is not good for us. Um, so we need to manage that, of course. And we think, yeah, we're, good at, we're really good at managing that. So here's a little experiment for you. Imagine if I said, well, you need to bring along next Sunday all of the bulbs from your house. You need, to, you need to bring all your bulbs to church, hand them in, and you're not allowed any bulbs at your house, and we'll return your bulbs to you next Sunday. The immediate thing is, oh, don't be ridiculous, we can turn the lights on and off at night, and we know how to manage daytime and nighttime and all of these kinds of things. All right, follow-up question. How many people are getting enough sleep? How many, not, not that's a rhetorical one, you don't need to put your hand up, but... How many people in this modern day and age where well, electricity? You don't need to hand your bulbs in. We can really manage that. Well, well, that's a really easy. That's the easiest of all of our technologies to manage. Do you turn the light off at the right time? Or you're staying up too late or getting up too early? All of these kinds of things. Get rid of the bulbs and suddenly you go to bed when it's dark and you get up when it's light. I know we, oh we can manage it. We can do so much better. And we can. We can manage it. I'm not. Don't bring your bulbs next week. I don't want your bulbs. We can, but we're, we're not as good as that as what we think we are. We're not as good as as putting the constraints and the restrictions in place in our lives as what we think we are. We'll get to some of the holy days in New Zealand first. One of them is Labor Day. You're a lot wiser than me, obviously, so you know what Labor Day is about. I had to Google what Labor Day is about. It's a celebration in 1840, a guy, Samuel, who was a carpenter. He uh, he petitioned government to uh, bring into play an eight-hour workday. And, so, and then from 1890, we started celebrating Labor Day, and the unions got in on all that. But it all comes back to the, the instigation within New Zealand of an eight-hour work day. So that's one of our holy days. We get a day off for that. I just wonder how many of us on that Labor Day that's been gifted to us, we reconsider our work patterns. Am I, am I working an eight-hour day that people fought so hard for over 100 years ago? Do I still work an eight-hour day, or am I at the office for 12 hours a day? How does it, it kind of work? Again, these are easy things. We know how to manage that. It's like we're not as good at managing these things as what we think. I don't want your bulbs, though. But uh, we're not the tour de force of wisdom in relation to time management that sometimes we think we are. Sometimes we actually need something beyond ourselves, the wisdom of those that have gone before us, to give us something by which to divide time up because we're not as good at it as we necessarily think we are. My argument is that we need the wisdom beyond ourselves by which to order time in a manner that is healthy and fosters wholehearted devotion to Christ. So I'm not so much concerned with trying to find a pattern of uh, managing time that gets you enough hours sleep. My concern is how do we manage time in a way that allows us to become the followers of Christ that we're called to be? And I think church history offers us this incredible gift in the church calendar, capital C, church, or the liturgical calendar, or the Christian calendar, they're, they're similar name for all things, of course, which Dwayne posted there. Turns out all my Facebook memories at the moment from two years ago, four years ago, and six years ago are quotes about the church calendar and sermons I've done. So obviously I've, I speak about this this Sunday every two years for the last six years, so it's not a new thing, more of a reminder on certain things. Our own efforts in our modern secular world won't achieve this wholehearted devotion to Christ. In the same way, I think that the calendar offers us, it offers us pace and rhythm and things to reflect on. Uh, we've got a mixed da- bag of holy days or holidays, uh, which have uh, divorced a lot of the meaning and the significance to them. Uh, in uh, moderns, we have, we have ones like Labor Day, which I just talked about, a celebration of an eight hour work day, which is awesome. We have Boxing Day. Again, you're wiser than me. I do like, what is Boxing Day? Well, that's, Labor Day is one of our national holidays to celebrate the eight hour work day. Boxing Day is another one of our national holidays, celebrating that the servants couldn't have a day off on Christmas Day because they were working for the rich people for Christmas. So they got Boxing Day off, and the rich people would box up a gift and give it to them on Boxing Day. And it's like, oh, well, isn't that a fun, fun fact for our, one of our great annual holy days kind of thing? It's Boxing Day. It's like, oh, we've got a mixed bag. We've got Anzac Day. If you, if you read up on the history of Anzac Day, Anzac Day nearly got cancelled. Uh, not a popular holiday in the, in the 50s and 60s. Very little interest at, at popular level in Anzac Day. Uh, you couldn't shop on Anzac Day, and there was no sport played on Anzac Day, and people were petitioning to have Anzac Day cancelled so that we can shop and have sport and things like that. Uh, a whole leftover, uh, leftover memories of the war. We don't want to celebrate that. or Not that it's a celebration of war, but a celebration of those that given us life. There was a whole generation. Of, we're tired of hearing about this. From our grandparents and our parents. Like, move along. We don't want. Uh, Anzac Day only really started to take off again in the late 80s and the 90s to be the thing that it is today. It's very, a very contested holiday. But if we're not, if we're not aware of what they're about, we, we divorce any meaning to them and they just become, well, they become a day off for us. They don't, they don't call us to be mindful of something or to shape our lives in any particular way. So we're a mixed bag. The ancients, these were always seasons, always tied to seasons. Harvest and midwinter or summer solstice and tied to the gods as well. There was a sun god and a moon god and storm gods. Anything that you couldn't control had a god because it was unpredictable and so you needed to make the right kind of sacrifices to the god to make sure you got a harvest and things like that. Um, Israel. Israel takes the seasons and then ties events in their story with with God into them. And so the, 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 the major uh, uh, Jewish festivals, still, they incorporate the seasons, but now they also incorporate something of what God's done in their story. Uh, you've got Passover, which obviously celebrates the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. But, but Passover is held on the full moon after the nor- northern vernal equinox when the barley is ripe. If the barley's not ripe, you have to wait till it's ripe kind of thing. So it's, it's deeply tied to the seasons as well. It builds on the season, but it adds significant events of their journey with Yahweh. Uh, Pentecost is a celebration of the giving of Torah, the giving of the law of Moses, and that's celebrated uh, with the wheat harvest. Tabernacles, living in tents, you go it's a camping holiday essentially, uh, to remember the 40 years that Israel journeyed through Uh, The wilderness and lived in tents, and yet they they knew God had promised them a land, God had promised them a home. So the the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents, you live in a tent, and that's always held at harvest times or when everything has been harvested. So there's this tying together. Like I said, our modern is a bit of a mixed bag of this, that, and the other thing. So so where could we land that maybe offers us something a little bit more kind of significant? Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 5 to 6, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul's living in a um, funny old time. You've got Jewish people coming to Christ uh, and they're like, do we celebrate Passover, Or but there's this new Passover things that that has happened in Jesus. What, what's our thing? Uh, Jewish people are, are coming to Christ and finding freedom in Christ. Uh, previously, they wouldn't eat meat offered to idols, but then Peter has this encounter, and he's eating things that God has not set unclean, and so now that it's like, well, are we allowed to eat meat or are we not allowed to eat meat? And most of the meat that you can eat comes from the butchery that also happens to be the the pagan temple market where they cut up the meat. That's kind of where you get your meat from there's no uh well, what would we say there's no secular butcher uh, all of the butcheries are, are tied to temples and things like that so the meat you're eating is sacrificed to idols but are we allowed to before god eat that meat and it's and, and paul says look you, you come to this place of freedom in christ to celebrate that as being holy and if you're not going to eat meat don't eat meat just do it and honor god if you are going to eat meat eat meat and make sure you honor god if you're going to celebrate this day Celebrate that day and honor God. And if you're not going to celebrate that day, that's fine, but make sure you still kind of honor God. And there's this, there's this there's this, freedom, but there's also this sense, well, however you're going to live though, however you're going to organize time, make sure you do it in a way that honors God. So you're not obligated to follow the church calendar, of course. And yet these early Christians began over the first kind of little while. The first shift was suddenly the day of worship was a Monday, the first day of the week, right? That was a controversial, and, and that's these, half the Christians are Jewish, and half the Christians are Gentile, and it's like, do we go to, you know, so there's these new things, they're trying to work out, how do we do this? There's different cultures coming together. So you begin to see Sunday become the holy day, where mostly Christians would gather for worship, and then over the next kind of three or four hundred years, this Christian calendar began to evolve, and began to become a way of orientating time around Christ, Practice now for fifteen hundred years, more or less. Kind of tried and true. Kind of, kind of. The waters have been tested, and we seem to keep coming back to it again and again. An invitation to live your story in the story of Christ. So, the Christian calendar kind of is tied to the seasons, builds on the events of ancient Israel, and then builds on the life of Christ to offer a way for us to consider time. All right. I think uh, next slide. Is it the next slide? Mm, there we go. There's a big one. This is the liturgical calendar. This is the major seasons of the liturgical calendar. Um, builds on the life of Christ, but is missional in nature. Is this this calendar that's designed, as Christians encounter people that don't know God, people that don't know Jesus, people who don't know the story of Jesus and have their own story. The Christian calendar kind of comes, little Christians, missionaries, missionary wouldn't be the right term, more Just the spread of Christianity as people move and relocate. Oh, oh! I've gone back to my village in northern Germany and the Germanic tribes, and they celebrate this. Should I celebrate that? Because that was to a pagan god, but now I follow Jesus. It's like, what do we do? And they're they're trying to find creative ways to kind of work out how to be Christian and how to honor God and celebrate these different things. So all sorts of little things happen. So Easter retells the story of Passover, but the focus is now in the life of Christ. Christmas, you probably heard some people say, Christmas isn't in the Bible, that's a pagan festival. Um, They're mostly right, it's not in the Bible, and it it, it does have kind of pagan origins, because these Christians move into these northern Germanic tribes, and they have this midwinter festival in the deepest dark that celebrates the dawning of a new light, as we switch from the, you know, the longest day, and then the next day is the now the, the light is getting brighter. There's this new sun that's come. And there's these Christian people spreading there going, well, we're not going to celebrate that. But let me tell you about a story about a different sun that comes into the midst of darkness and begins to turn the darkness into light. And so they, they share the story of Jesus. And that becomes this marking of the time where Christ was born, the new light that is coming into existence kind of thing. And then they begin to subvert and flip these old festivals upside down and offer you something different. Um, christianity spreads folks coming to christ they're trying to work out how to celebrate things like winter solstice and the darkest of dark but to honor christ in the midst of it and so christianity kind of subverts these these festivals and and offers well how could we reinterpret some of these in the life of christ uh christmas becomes the the birth of christ the incarnation christ entering into our story Uh, Let me tell you about one more particularly this morning. Uh, The great Christian festival of Halloween. So I wanted to tell you about the great Christian festival of uh, Halloween. And that was a few weeks ago, and we had Ray Kos to speak, and he touched on some different things there, but I just wanted to pick up on that for you as well. So Halloween. Under the pantheon of the Roman gods uh, and in the, the folk religions of the early Celts and the Germanic peoples, festivals were held that marked the seasons, like I've already talked about. The autumn festival marked the harvest, and the beginning of winter. But for the Celts, this festival was known as um, Summer's End. And these festivals were religious in nature as well. It wasn't just the seasons. They were religious in nature as well. They were a liminal space. The Autumn Festival was this time where people imagined the, uh, the veil between the living and the dead to be thin. That Those that had passed before could, could come back to your house for dinner. The ghosts of loved ones past would, would come back and revisit your house and turn up at your house. And, so you better set a plate for them at dinner time and things like that. Uh, we have the Day of the Dead in South America and Mexico and different ones. But th- these, are, these are happening everywhere kind of thing. Uh, fairies and ghosts and the souls of the, devil, de- of the dead would travel between the different dimensions in these, these kinds of festivals. They became occasions to consider death to consider the underworld, uh, the deepest dark where ancestors and ghosts and things lived. Uh, Traditions were varied and traditions evolved. One tradition included dressing as the dead or dressing as characters from the underworld and going door to door to collect treats or to do mischief. Uh, The practice mimicked the idea that the gods were temperamental and you couldn't be trusted and they couldn't be trusted. Remember I said you had to offer sacrifices to the sun god or the harvest god or the moon god because who knows if you have a good harvest or not and who knows what The right sacrifices to make it's all very kind of mischievous and they can't trust the gods and they're mischievous in nature and they'll play tricks on you these kinds of things Um, gods will give you nothing but mischief if you don't make the right sacrifices another was to carve out pumpkins originally it was turnips that hasn't obviously caught on there's not many turnip carving competitions but you'd carve out a pumpkin and make it look angry to scare away the ghosts and the, the dead and the the unseen spirits and these kinds of things. So this is this is um, long long time ago. As Christianity spreads, Christians are trying to figure out how to respond to that. What is the what's the Christian story? What's the Christian alternative to Summer's End? to these autumn festivals, to these days of the dead, to these these occasions where everybody's talking about the dead and unseen realms and grandma, who obviously no one loved her because she comes back and she plays tricks on us and she's angry and we should have done a better job. What's the Christian response to that? What do we believe in our story? And so the church inaugurated a different festival. It was around 609. Uh, Not a a one-day festival, but a three-day festival known as All Hallow Tide or All Saints Tide, or All Saints Time. They instig- instig- instigated a three-day festival, All Saints Time. A festival designed to sit alongside or to exist as an alternative to these kind of more pagan festivals in ancient times. A festival uh, to, to consider what the gospel story is about, uh, tells us about the dead, tells us about the afterlife, tells us about hope we have in Christ. How do we subvert that and tell a different story? A chance to consider the reality of death, the fear of death that we often carry. A chance to remember those who have passed away, saints known and unknown. And so those three days are October the 31st, November the 1st, and November the 2nd. Uh, like I said, just not long ago. October the 31st was uh, Halloween, or Holy Evening, or Saints Evening. It was the, the first night of that festival. Holy, uh, Hello Evening. Uh, the day was an invitation to prepare, to pray. To consider one's baptismal vows, where you died in the waters of baptism and were raised to new life in Christ. So now you're no longer, it's no longer you that lives, that Christ that lives in you. So, so Halloween, that was a chance to, to be prayerful and to remember your own, your own vows that you took at baptism. To, 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 to die to one way of living and to live a new life chance to reflect on our eternal hope in Christ. Neither the dead nor Hades, literally the the God of the underworld, are in charge. They do not have the final word in the face of death. Uh, November the 1st, Hello Day or All Saints Day. A chance to remember the saints with a capital S. The true role models of the gospel that have gone before us and lived a life that would be worth emulating. Uh, Not the Kardashians. Not sport, rugby league players, not cricketers, not whatevers, but to remember people that have followed Christ wholeheartedly the whole day of their life. That, that's a, an invitation each year to look at the autobiography of one of the great saints of history and to go, what, what could I learn from that person's life? What, did, what have they taught us in regards to what it is to cr- follow Christ? What was, what was the, the, the circumstances of their life, the trials and the tragedies that they faced, and how did they kind of, how did, how did they kind of persevere and follow Christ? And then All-Says, All Souls Day, the second of November, A chance to remember loved ones who'd passed away just in the previous 12 months. To remember people from your family or from your church family who had died. Faithful followers of Christ whose life had, 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 had come to the end of their race kind of thing. To remember those saint, uh, saints. It's All Souls Day. Or to remember loved ones from your family that had passed away. It's a chance to remember that death is a reality. It's a real thing. But we have hope in the face of death. And the Christian church, 609, said we need a three-day festival. What they decided, they said, we don't need a 50-day festival to consider the dead. Uh, we don't need a whole season of ordinary time that goes for like 170 days or whatever it is. We need, it just needs three days, three days. Halloween, all saints, all souls, that should be a part of our Christian discipleship, that three days out of 365, we, we kind of look at death, and we, and we have this, this new understanding in death that there might be people dressed up as monsters. We might dress up as monsters with our kids, but then we take the masks off with our kids and we expose the fear of death to no longer. It's like Scooby-Doo. It's like, look at the monster. And you take, oh, no, it's just Mr. Jones. You, know? you do that with your family. It's like, oh, look at that monster. No, it's just mum. It's like, ah, oh, I was so scared. And, and with our kids, we, we help them to confront their fears. The greatest fear of all is the fear of death, to confront their fears. But now, though, what we do is we're trying to subvert Halloween with light parties, which I think is kind of cool for your under threes. But when the church is subverting Christian festivals to do different things, we've, we, we don't have our history clear enough. We don't understand What's going on? Because the secular world does what the secular world does and secularizes Easter and Christmas, and we don't call them holy days anymore. We call them holidays, and it's our time off to do our thing, it's Like no, no, these are holy days to remember certain things, chance to face death. Let me just read Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-five to thirty-nine, with this in mind. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or any sort of mischief? Shall any sort of mischief come between us and God? No way, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We've already been baptized. We've already laid down our lives. We've already died. We're just yet to experience our natural death and our true resurrection. But it's already taken place in baptism. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, and then if you do your Greek, nor fairies or zombies or scary pumpkins or mummies wrapped up in toilet paper or -or trick-or-treaters dressed as the Kardashians, none of these things can separate you from the love of God. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, especially about death even though we try not to talk about it in our, money, in our modern world. Even our fear of death can't separate us from, even death itself can't separate us from the love of God. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, nor anything else in all creation, not even a zombie apocalypse, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 609, they thought, we need a three-day festival, rhythm of Christian discipleship, Will we consider death we consider fear and we consider the underworld and we consider darkness and we say hey we've got a different story to tell so the church created this festival that starts with halloween and then has all saints and all souls and it's only three days and that's why we don't like you can't make a wedge you know halloween it's like it's those are all the sundays coming and then christ is king sunday is coming up and, and put that in there wisdom of the church they decided that we need four weeks, Advent. We need four weeks to think about what's it, what do we hope for in life? What are we looking forward to? What's our anticipation? What do, you think, what do we think it will be that will save us and rescue us and redeem us and turn our situation around? The wisdom of the church said, hey, you need four weeks to consider that. We'll call it Advent. And it's a season where we prepare our hearts with excitement and anticipation for the coming of Christ. And we remember back to the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago. But then we also say, hey, we remember that Christ can turn up in our lives today. It's one of the invitations of Advent. What are we hoping for? Are we hoping that the lotto ticket will come through and turn up in our lives today? Are we hoping that old mate will finally get his act together and turn up in our Or are we hoping that Christ and your love and your goodness and mercy, that you could turn up in our lives today and do something? It's an invitation to remember that Christ will come again as well. The advent, the arrival, the coming of Christ, that Christ will come again. What's our ultimate hope for this world? Musk and his satellites bringing world peace? Or that one day Christ will come again and restore and mend and heal and put things back together? The the wisdom of the church calendar said, you need four weeks to live into that. You need four weeks to reflect on that. We'll be starting that in two weeks' time. That's why we're in Narnia, because Narnia is this magical land that invites us to just remember life's not all what you can see and measure and taste and touch. God can show up and do unexpected things. There's a magical kind of dimension to life. So we, we go into Narnia to remind ourselves, are we expectant that God can show up in unexpected ways? And is that where our hope is? Or is our hope in our education or a family or lotto or whatever? You need, decided that you needed four weeks of that. When Christmas does arrive, church calendar says you need 13 days uh, 12 days you need 12 days of Christmas for that there's again I say it every year so the 12 days of Christmas starts on Christmas day through to the 6th of it's not the first to the 12th of December when Briscoe's has a massive sale called the 12 days of Christmas it's like don't listen to Briscoe's Their historian is terrible you need 12 days to remember that man it's Christmas in the gold there Christmas 12 days to remember that Christ came in the flesh, that God loved us so much that he sent his only son to enter into our story. You can go and read Hebrews during Christmas. Tempted like all of us are, knowing what it is to be fully human. Just like you and I are, experiencing all the stuff that we experience. You, you, need, you need 12 days to do that. Epiphany is the revelation that this baby is actually the son of God and the Savior. You need a, you need a Sunday just to, we're all on holiday then, but <laughs> hey, Epiphany. And then you can have some ordinary time. Tone it down. Just relax. It's summer. It's not in the northern hemisphere, it's not. But for us, it's summer. How do you, I want to follow God. I remember, you know, as a young person, I'm going to follow God. So I'm going to read four chapters of the Bible every day. I'm going to pray for half an hour. It's like, that's not sustainable. All these things like, well, I've got two hours worth of devotional stuff. Do every day for the rest of my life. The calendar says, whoa, 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 whoa. Ramp it up in Advent and Christmas and Epiphany. Then ordinary time, tone it down again. If you're going to miss a Sunday, miss a green Sunday. That's what the calendar says. If you're going to miss a Sunday, miss a green Sunday. But just so you know, Lent's coming. Lent's 40 days to remember that Christ's journey through the wilderness. And that we'll all go through the wilderness and the desert and difficult times. We'll face anxiety or depression or loss or grief or heartache or despair. Christ knows what like that. Christ is present to you in that season. You need 40 days of that. But Some of you are too young to have bad stuff happen yet, so fast. Just like some of it, just have cold showers for 40 days. Give up coffee. I was going to say give up alcohol. No, because you're young, you haven't started yet. (laughs) Give up coffee and alcohol and all these things. Give up TV, whatever. Give up your bulbs for 40 days and just go to bed when it gets dark and get up when it gets light. You need 40 days to live into that because one day something will happen in your life where it won't be Lent on the calendar, it'll be Lent in your life. But you've practiced what it is to walk through the wilderness by choice. And now when you don't want to be in the wilderness, and it's probably going to last more than 40 days, at at least you've practiced that before, and you know that Christ is present in the wilderness. Because you gave up the bulbs, and it was weird, and it was annoying. But you you set your eyes on Christ. And now you're in a difficult time, but you're setting your eyes on Christ. Then you have Holy Week. It's black, Holy Week. Palm Sunday. Yeah, Hosanna, King of Kings. Ooh, crucify him, not long later. Swings and roundabouts. You need a whole week for that. Easter, 50 days of resurrection life. 50 days where you're not allowed to fast. You don't fast in Easter. So when I do, see churches doing like, we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. I was like, oh, when are you doing that? The week after Easter. I'm like, oh, it's the wrong time. <laughs> Either do that in Lent or do it in green. Green's when you can do anything. Rule of life is how do I live my life? What are the rules that shape my life? A little rule of life is like for me, not for you, because you can. some say one day is holy, others say another. You can make up your own rule of life. For me, it's like you're in Sunday during Lent and then at Easter because Easter is one of the great holy festivals, not one of the great holidays and long weekends. It's one of the great holy things. So you make that a priority. And then take all of ordinary time if you want, but then be back for Advent. There's rhythms because it's not, you can't, we all know, I know young people from when I was a youth pastor who their intensity in following Christ was admirable in one sense and now they no longer follow Christ because you can't sustain, that it's like the calendar offers you a rhythm, it offers you an invitation. I read one of the chronicles of Narnia in Advent, I read Eugene Peterson during Christmas. I'll be in one of the Gospels in Lent. You know, there's, there's rhythms to how you can... You don't have to read the Bible in a year. You can, there's all sorts of different ways to do it. It's the wisdom of the church over many, many years. If you take eight days of annual leave during Easter, you can end up with a 16-day break by just using eight days of leave. That's a very secular perspective, so I just want to throw that out to you. All right. The calendar invites sustainability to one's devotional life. It offers pace. It offers pace because we're running a marathon. We're running a marathon every year, and then we're running another marathon. Then we're running another marathon. Then we're running another marathon. So pace yourself. Calendar invites you to pace yourself. Calendar invites a thematic guide to one's devotional life. I'm going to really follow Jesus. What shall I do? I don't know what questions you have i don't know well the, these are the seasons but the seasons are organized orientated around themes themes of repentance themes of anticipation themes of celebration massive theme of ordinariness you know you do know that life's a gift work and play and family and fruit and cricket world cups they're painful but still they're they're all a gift they're just the ordinary stuff of life. That's all a gift of God. And Celebrate that. Not all of life is this amazing victory. There's highs and lows, and then a lot of ordinary stuff in between. So it offers you a theme. I'm going to tune into that still, small voice of the Spirit. What's the theme at the moment? What do I think about hope and anticipation? And it invites a communal sense to one's devotional life. Because Christians have been living this for 1,500 years, like billions of Christians, there's... Devotionals and there's chuck up uh, the next slide, Steve. There's devotionals and there's resources and there's all kinds of ways that you can tap in the wisdom of others to help you in your own journey. All right, here's the last slide. Next week is Christ is King Sunday. It's the celebration that the, the calendar takes us all the way around in a circle. We land at this point, point and our, our great hope is that Christ will be King. Uh, the, what Dwayne read from Colossians the supremacy of Christ. When all is said and done, Christ will be King overall. That's Christ the King Sunday. We start again in Advent. So up on the screen, then, what are the, some things? These are some of the kinds of questions you can ask in the season of Advent in your devotional life. What do I look forward to in life? What do I count down to? And the obvious answer at this time is, yeah, "We're counting down to the holidays." I need a break, but that betrays. Well, where do you feel like that which sustains you comes from? Is it the, and nothing wrong with the holiday, and they help sustain us? But where, where is my ultimate hope? Where do, I need to, where do I need Jesus to show up in my life? Where do I need Jesus to show up in my life? Do I invite this and make room for this? Or am I living in such a way, at such a pace, that I'm more or less the, there's no room in the inn? Even if Christ was knocking on the door, I would be unaware that Christ was knocking on the door. Am I patient, able to rest and wait in Christ, or do I have a tendency to run ahead, to push? If it doesn't look like Christ is coming through for me, I'll come through for myself. That's that's part of the Christmas thing with kids is the anticipation, the counting down. How do I wait with excitement and also patience rather than waiting with despair and futility and having given up? Am, am I patient? Do I know what it is to, to have established patience as a virtue? Now that you're an adult, the counting down of patience isn't relating to the prison that's under the tree. You know all the what they are. You, you buy them for everyone else. The counting down is to patience that, that God, I've got everyone, all of us, dreams and thoughts and ideas and promises that I feel like, God, this hasn't come through, but I, I feel like you spoke to me and you promised this. Okay, what does it look like to, to have hope for that and to have patience? Uh, there's just some journals you can get. You can get journals for all the different seasons, uh, uh, devotionals for all the different seasons. Just get a Kindle app on your phone and buy it for Nine dollars off Amazon, and if it's a good one, read it again the next year because you'll be in a different headspace and the journal will different things will stand out to you. And if it was rubbish, get a different one for the year after. Oodles of devotionals that you can get, and that's a way you can kind of live in the season and be present to the season. So, I think the commitment is to tune into that still small voice of the spirit. But if you just say that, that's very open ended, can create a huge amount of pressure. How do I pace that? What do I pay attention to? What questions should I be asking? Well, the church gives us this gift of a calendar, which, which gives a bit of a shape, a bit of, bit of orientation to it, to tune into that still small voice. All right, let's stand. We'll close in prayer this morning. I have, um, I don't, I have, I have very, I have no issue whatsoever uh, with secular society promoting happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. So I, I don't care about any of that. It doesn't, it doesn't faze me. My concern is the church abandoning holy days. Um, Paul, like I read, Paul says, "Hey." You consider that day holy great, and if someone else does great, figure it out for yourselves. At the same time as a pastor, you've got to offer some sort of a structure. My concern is that as Christ followers, we we only have holidays and not holy days that call us to pay attention in certain ways. I'm concerned that the church will treat Easter and Christmas as secular. I I have no concern that the secular world will treat Christmas and Easter as secular. Go for it. But when the church starts to treat it as secular, we make all the days the same. And we take out rhythms and highs and lows. And by default, we say, well, we'll organize our life a different way. Oh, how will we do it? Oh, we'll organize it around the financial year or the university semesters or the work week or whatever it might be. And it's like, oh, sure, fine. That's always going to give a structure to our lives. But I think we can, we can actually organize the totality of time in such a way as that I'm talking to the carpet cleaner one time, telling them to come and uh, uh, Lent. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't really care when you clean it. Just do it in Lent before Easter. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, why are we speaking? And then I was like, oh, oh, it's, it's so ingrained kind of thing. So it's an invitation this morning to consider this. Obviously, we've got that here. I've spoken about it many times. But it's for you to do with it as you wish or as you please. But we'll try, of course, at church to theme things around that. But in your own world and how you do that, that's totally up to you. But time is a gift. Life's a gift, it's precious. We, we've got to divide it up some way because we're not, we're not made to work 80-hour weeks. We're not made to holiday for infinity. There, there's, all sorts of, there's a time for everything under the sun. We have to work out what that time is in a way that is good for us and good for our families, good for us now, good for us in the future, all of these kinds of things, and that ultimately honors God. As you go this morning, go knowing that time itself is a gift from God. No season is endless and no season is wasted in the economy of God. As you go this morning, go open to the wisdom of the Christian tradition that invites us to orientate time itself in the life of Christ. For Christ is the artist of our souls and the one who invites us into a journey of discipleship where infinite loving kindness leads the way. Go with eyes to see beauty, goodness, and truth in the world, always as signposts to God, and know that you too are a signpost of wonder, dearly beloved of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters. Happy Ordinary Time. Next week, Christ is King Sunday and the last day of Ordinary Time, and then we roll on into Advent.